You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Morillow, and we have got a great roundtable lined up for you today. Now, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, your personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we'll be diving deeply into a variety of topics that will keep you inspired. Sometimes we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. And that's what we're up to today. We have gathered together some incredible change makers to talk about our recent loss of our female icon, mourning Ruth Bader Ginsburg, what will be our feminist future? The opportunities we now have as women to support positive transformation in our world. But before I introduce today's guests, I have a simple request. I'd be so grateful if you'd share this podcast with your friends or colleagues, because I'd love as many people to know about this as possible. Would you please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to? Because it's so helpful to us. It enables those algorithms to find us. It helps people to find our community and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people. So thank you. Now, we actually have three guests with us in Roundtable today. Laurie Benson, first of all. Now, Laurie was recently introduced as a voice for the voiceless and the title stuck. She has dedicated her life to opening doors to reconnection with ourselves, each other, and all living beings. The question, what story or deep wisdom is living inside of you, ready to be shared, guides her work. Focused on embodiment and the sharing of stories, Laurie believes these two paths lead us to our deepest inner truths and create a path forward towards unity and compassion. Welcome, Laurie. Thanks so much, Jane. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So excited you're with us. (laughs) Okay, next we have Rebecca Perkins. Now, Rebecca is a powerful and intuitive coach supporting women in midlife. In the past two years, her work has focused on well-being and resilience. She has published a book with her daughter called Recovery from Within. A mother and daughter's journey through anorexia shares the understanding that beneath the surface we all have well-being and that when this is understood, full recovery is possible. Her expertise lies in guiding clients to discover the freedom to have their own insights for lasting change. So welcome, Rebecca. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Jane. (laughs) Oh, just to hear your voice on this podcast is good, Rebecca. (laughs) It really is. And finally, we have Mary Catherine Morales, also known as MK. She is an accomplished university fundraiser, author, speaker, and certified corporate trainer. She's also CEO and founder of Women of Principle, and she's a visionary leader. Her professional gifts for engaging community leaders and creating high-performance cultures are evident in her mission to empower and inspire a community of women to rise to their own call and courageously embrace their transformational journey to divine significance. So welcome, MK. Jane, it is so good to be here today. I'm so excited. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And I'm thrilled that you're with us. I really am. Okay, before we start, I want our listeners to know that we are recording this in October 2020. 
<coughs> excuse me, many of us are still quarantining, the global economy is suffering, and we still have a question mark around our collective future. So let me open the conversation today to all of you and ask, how did you feel about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? How has she impacted your life? So I'll jump in. I, um, so I was actually, when she passed, on a trip to the border. So I was driving by myself. It reminded me of when I first heard about 9-11, um, because I was also in my car by myself. And I think um, it will have a similar impact, probably, on me. I was in and out of reception. And I got a phone call from my daughter, who's 17. And she was crying so hard she could barely talk. And I pulled over on the side of the road um, and it took her a few minutes to collect herself enough to tell me and ask me if I'd heard the news. Um, and I think having it come through my daughter's emotions um, and, and feeling and hearing and sensing the impact that it had on her really drove home mm. um, kind of what had just happened to mm. Um, to where we currently stand. And it was such, she was such a strength and a voice that we, that we need for everything we're standing in the middle of right now. Mm. Yeah. And so interesting to hear that it's gone cross-generational right the way through to your daughter at 17 as well. Oh, she's been such a huge, yeah. huge influence on Grace. Yeah. Yeah. But across the pond as well. <laughs> okay, so really, in theory, somebody that you might not, you know, you might have heard of, but take no notice of in a way, it's, you know, but boy, that when I heard it was literally, I just got goosebumps, because yeah. it was terror, actually fear, yeah. that ran through my veins for, for you in the US, but for us and for women. And I think, as happened with, you know, a number of people whose thoughts I was reading on Instagram, it was lurching from fear to, but now we fight. Right. Now we stand tall. Now we continue mm -hmm. in our own way, whatever that might mean yeah. for, the, for the kind of female collective, if you like. Yeah. yeah. And there's no doubt we've lost an icon. I mean, 27 years she served, you know, in the Supreme Court as a Justice of the Peace. And she was a real champion for us as women. Um, and there's no doubt we've lost that. But you're right. You know, she's opened so many doors for us, I believe, um, in her career that I think it's now our responsibility to carry that torch forward. Yeah. And for me, um, it's, I always knew who she was and that she was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, when I heard the news, um, it was my girlfriends and even my acquaintances on Facebook that were reaching out to me. I have goosebumps right now, um, asking me to pray for, for her and her passing and for her children and for women. And that really drove me to research her life even more. And I began to become almost obsessed with her videos 
and what the New York Times was saying about her. And what really strikes me about her is was her ability to be like fierce and fair at the same time. And, um, and to lose that ability um, for women, you know, I'm just more committed than ever before um, that we rise around her legacy mm. um, and helping the next generation um, stand for things that really matter. Mm. Yeah. So MK, does she pass your criteria as a woman of principle? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, do I, can I live up to some of the amazing things? I mean, you know, and really I watched a dozen videos about her work and the things that she did. And I was just, not that I didn't know about those things before, but when, when the world takes a few minutes to draw out the best in a life and kind of put it all together, I mean, it was really so special and, and really overwhelming. Um, and I began to think, how can I make a difference like she did? How can we collectively come together um, for a force for good? Yeah. 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 And, and I think it's, oh, go ahead. Oh, I think her steadfastness as well and her absolute certainty about women mm. and, and our rights that it, 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 was, it was amazing to watch her. And I loved the Netflix a documentary on her, absolutely transfixed by that. Mm. But, but it was like she was without doubt. There was no, oh, well, am I, am I equal? And there was just <laughs> that assuredness that I think that I've seen. And I think that's what the younger generation. So in a way, it doesn't surprise me, Laurie, that your daughter was um, caught up in, in that as well, followed her. I mean, she had the notorious RBG, didn't she? As her kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah. Grace has a pair of sweatpants with a picture of her on, with <laughs> RBG flying on an eagle. <laughs> They're hilarious. I'll tell you though, I got into a fascinating conversation with, we, this turned into our family dinner conversation last night, mm. talking about this conversation that we're all about to, we're all having. And, I said um, that to me, she's the embodiment of the eagle and the condor prophecy, right? Because she's mm -hmm. that balanced masculine and feminine. And my daughter, and so I said, I don't know if that's necessary. That's not the feminism that I grew up with, right. right? It's not necessarily a balance. It was that fight to be, um, maybe to even push our feminine aspects to the side and be something, stand more in our masculine traits. And my, and my daughter called me out and she said, listen, you've got to stop saying that. Feminism is different today than when I was her age, right? She said, now feminine, feminism is about that equality, about that balance within each of us. And she said, RBG was so incredible because she laid the, the foundation and laid the groundwork for where feminism feminism has risen to mm. so she said that she doesn't feel like we've lost a powerful voice for that feminism but she feels like she was she was the anchor that allowed her and those in her generation to rise and that now there isn't necessarily just one specific voice rising to the surface instead it's this collective movement 
-hmm. of women saying, this is who I am and this is how I'm showing up and they're supporting each other. And, and it's this, it's this generational shift that RBG really allowed to happen. And I'm so grateful you've said that because that's always been my, I think if I've, if I've had an issue with feminism, it's been that it's that I've not wanted to step into my masculine aspects to push forward the fact that women, you know, demand equality, for example. I've always wanted that balance. And like you, Laurie, you know, I often don't, I don't think of myself as a feminist just because in the 1970s, as I was like a young child growing up, I remember seeing these women you know, on the front lines of picket lines and things and thinking, I, that's not what I, that's not me, right? I didn't want to identify with that. And through my career, it's been so interesting because I've been pulled into women's leadership programs and women's like programs in, in, in corporate organizations a lot and asked to put them together and create them and things. And I've always felt a little bit like, <gasps> like, do I really want to, like show this boundaried way that women need to be treated differently than men in organizations. And the only way I could make peace with it was that actually it's okay because although leadership isn't necessarily different because I teach the same balanced way, the circumstances, the environments we find ourselves in, the way people respond to us as women is very different. And therefore, we do need different trainings because of that. So I love that you're talking to this balance piece because for me, I mean, we've talked about this before, Laurie, this <laughs> going beyond like the masculine and the feminine, like at that roomy quote out beyond the field of right and wrong, there is a field, I'll meet you there. <laughs> I love that because for me, that's where she's taken us. That's mm. where we're headed. And now it's our responsibility to take it forward. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, if you look at, um, she was so beautiful yeah. <laughs> as a young woman, like striking and brilliant. And her style was um, feminine and serious at the same time. Like there was no mistake um, that when she walked into the room, she had something she was going to say. Yeah. But it seemed like she knew, and I think this is the distinction that between perhaps men and women and why women's organizations that empower us to step into our power, but to recognize there is a way yeah. in business to communicate. Um, and sometimes um, that's what struck me about her is that she had the ability to have that balance. I mean, the fact that she was a wife, a mother, um, she went, you know, graduated Harvard, took care of her husband when he had cancer, made sure that he had all of the same tools that she did. Um, that's the other thing that really struck me about her is that she was a wife and a mom as, as much as she was a judge and a stand for others. Yeah. I saw a great image actually, which really epitomized everything for me. It was, uh, I think it was last week when the uh, NBA football players were taking their knee beginning of a game and they all had lace collars on. 
I was like, I haven't seen that. Have you not seen that? They all wore lace collars. And this, these were people that in a way were, were the opposite of, of, of who she was, if you like, because obviously these are big, burly football players, right? And they're down on one knee and they've got their kit on ready for the game. And there they are, they've all put a lace collar on. And I was like, that just shows you her reach and her impact, you know, in a way that I think there's very few women have made that kind of impact in our world. So what is it? guys that we want to carry forward what do we want to remember because one of the things I feel a little bit about is that like my granddaughter Phoebe she's never going to know her in real life and yet there are elements there that I want us to carry forward for the next generation so they understand it's okay I tell you her I think one of her greatest gifts um, for me and I know now, especially hearing from my daughter, um, was that there wasn't ever a question of, am I too much this? Am I too much that? She was able to get out of her own way and stand in her truth, right? I mean, talk about a truly embodied woman who knew what was important to her and she was going to show up in that truth and create change. I mean, what greater gift, right? What do we need more in the world right now than the ability to step out of ourselves enough to stop saying, am I to this? Am I to that? Am I not enough of this? Am I not enough of that? And instead to say, this is really important to me. And so I'm stepping into it and I'm standing in my power around that and I'm gonna use the gifts that I innately have yeah. to bring that forward and let all the other labels and titles and rights and wrongs fall away. Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it together, all of us. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and I totally see that about her. And one of the things that's so important for me in the work that I do, you know, although I started working with women in midlife, my focus these days tends to be more with those struggling with eating disorders. But if you think about that, all right, somebody that's anorexia particularly, they're shrinking away. They are shrinking away because they don't see themselves as worthy or enough in any way. So my role and my daughter's role is to help them see that they are enough, Amen. that they are worthy. And I think all of those, those types of things are the, what, what she stood for as well, never questioning that, our worthiness. And I think for me, that's, that, that's one of the legacies, if you like, that she's left for me is that. You know, sure. I, I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine, MK. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, as a woman in recovery, um, you know, with I used to have a terrible addiction, um, drugs and alcohol. And when you talk about shrinking away and kind of stepping into the dark because the story of unworthiness and shame becomes so overwhelming, um, those of us that have come through that darkness and are standing in the light 
we recognize that transformation from the inside out is a possibility, not just for one, but for all. And I think when we, if we were to honor her commitment for women, I think that's such a beautiful place to stand is that unfortunately not all women have that same confidence that she appeared to have. But I, I truly believe that as we practice that kind of authenticity a little bit at a time and, and can uh, provide access points for other women, glimpses of light where they begin stepping into their power and their authenticity and really their truth, maybe that's one way that we can honor what women like um, Ruth, uh, I didn't know if I should call her judge or Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> out of respect for her, you know, um, what she stood for and what she started. Um, because we all know that anything less than believing that we are the light is, is just not true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, I, and I think it's in our own being, our own standing up, you know, it's like the, the Marianne Williamson, piece that I had on the fridge when my kids were growing up you know as we let our own light shine we unconsciously give others permission to do the same and it, it's that if we see that in ourselves you know it's like when my daughter and I speak with with clients we we say yes recovery is possible 100% and for you too and they hit they're seeing hope for the first time yes. so that that's it isn't it it's just not questioning because we are bombarded day in day out by negative messages and yeah. and you know I'm, I'm not anti-male at all but the the types of men that we still have in leadership sadly who are so insecure in their own being that they need to project that out and be bullies frankly that's that's what they are but if we so so many and and marketing and the the industries that are set up it seems to make women feel less than not enough yeah yeah to help women see through that to who they really are that's right yeah i was um uh, listening to a meditation this morning um and she was talking about the unstoried self. Mm. And that's, that's where we connect. That's where we yeah. connect with dropping that story, the heavy identities she talked about, that we're lugging around in some backpack. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Mm. And the importance for us to be those role models. Yes. Yeah, just when I was just, um, I just got back from a trip down to the border, which is where I found out about RBG. Um, but what you said, Rebecca, just brought this to mind, um, how grateful I am for the years that I've been able to do the work that I've done personally. Um, because it was while I was on the border, things felt so um, intense. I mean, I really feel like I was standing in a war zone. And at times I felt like I was having a heart attack. It was so um, painful. And my, my, my 
history to that feeling and that reaction has been to move away from it, right? To remove myself. And I will say it took everything in my power to stay where I was and feel and breathe into what I was experiencing. And I will absolutely say that having knowing that RBG, the fight that she put forward there at the end <laughs> to stay in until November, right? And not empty up, not empty another space on the Supreme Court was so grounding to me. Um, and it made me stay and it made me feel what was, what I was experiencing in my body and it made me cry a lot, mm -hmm. but knowing, just knowing like for Phoebe, right. Who will never meet her. Just knowing that there was a woman in our history, in our present history, who has taken such a powerful stand for right. Yeah makes makes it easier for me to stand in that space yeah and i think that that's a gift she's given to all women whether they're whether they've yet stepped into this world or not thank you laurie laurie just so that there may be people listening who don't know what the border is or oh, what's okay. going on if they're outside of america could you just give us a, a brief rundown so people understand absolutely so i was right um on the border of Sinoita, mexico and Arizona in Oregon Pike National Monument. And it's kind of the epicenter of um, wildlife habitat destruction, endangered species destruction, um, indigenous rights and freedoms, um, human rights and freedom. Um, there, was, there was a lot going on. There's a lot going on. The, the border wall is being built right now, blasting through sacred burial grounds of the Tohono O'odham. Um, they're protesting, it's turning ugly, not because of them, they're being peaceful. Um, I personally witnessed three groups of migrants trying to cross, they had walked across the border um, and they were moms and children. And um, to see and know that these people were doing anything and everything in their power, just to simply find a better way of life for their kids um, and then watch them get picked up by Border Patrol and know that they were about to be bussed back across the border into Mexico and just dropped. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. And again, to bring it back to RBG, right? Um, she was, she is still my reminder that there's no right or wrong way to show up around this work right now. The work is for me to stay grounded in the gifts that I have to give. Who can I be in this that's going to help create change? Who can I be that's gonna shine a light on the truth in a way that doesn't move us toward further separation, but brings us together. Um, and that is the gift she's given me. She and the other women who've walked that path. Mm. Yeah. You know, go Menke. <laughs> Um, last week I started crying on Thursday and I cried Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, when I was, um, and I kept saying, Lord, you know, what is it? What is happening? And, you know, I, I, I practice the Christian faith and, you know, I, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And I heard two words, Jesus wept. 
And I just feel like what you're saying is there's um, connected to the grief, you know, that's happening um, in so many different ways that, and to see people be unkind to one another, you know, whether it's on the border, you know, there's so much happening now with in race relations and, you know, coming to a place where, you know, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, then you're bad and wrong if you're on the other side of the, the table. And I was getting bombarded with messages about um, different people in leadership that were just cruel. <laughs> and, um, you know, we talk about, um, when we talk about her legacy, I think one of the things that she managed to do really well was to strike a balance um, and to speak powerfully in, in what she believed in without really diminishing the value of other people, you know, dehumanizing other people. And I think that is so, when we talk about women rising, you know, how do we continue to create communities um, where we learn how to be kind and speak in love. Um, so I was, I wasn't crying on the border with you, but I was definitely <laughs> crying for, for much of the same reasons. Well, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball in because I've been quite frustrated. Maybe even there's some anger in there, right? So I'm going to put this into the pot and see what you say. <laughs> which is that, which is that, basically, I remember I can only have been about five or six years old. And I remember my mom telling me in no uncertain terms that I lived in a man's world and I had to get used to it. Right. I remember that. And then I look now at the birth, with the birth of my granddaughter and I look around and despite all the work we've done, I still think Phoebe lives in a man's world. I still think we all do. And in many ways for me, moving to America was, was more than just a culture shock because I'd never experienced sexism like what I've had here uh, and I'm not saying that the UK doesn't have it of course it does but the degree of which it's here is 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 far more intense uh, in fact a lot of the isms like um you know um well not the isms homophobia racism sexism all those things seem like they're in more of a crucible for some reason here it's way more intense so I wanted to ask you, where do you think we are now as women? And do you have a different perspective to me? Because I'm really hoping you do. <laughs> you know, Jane, a couple of years ago, before Trump was actually in office, a group of women um, from the UN, from all these different countries came and they toured. They went to many different countries to see um, the state of women, right? Oh, what exactly what you're talking about. And they came away, the biggest surprise and takeaway for them was that the US is one of the worst countries yeah. and we recognize it. So yeah. they said the biggest problem isn't even the way women are treated, but it's that, they're, that we're oblivious to it. Yeah. That we don't know it's happening. We don't see ourselves in that light. But 
you know, I have to come back to the eagle and the condor prophecy. And yeah. I share this, I know, when you and I talked in February, and I share all the time because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a Mayan prophecy that talks about how the eagle and the condor used to fly together in harmony and in balance. And the eagle is the masculine, um, the industrial, the mind. And the condor is the feminine and the intuitive and the heart. So they flew together until 1490. And we, they, the prophecy is that we would enter a 500 year period where the eagle would overtake the condor almost to the point of the extinction of both. So in 1990, we stepped into a time of possibility to bring those two back into balance and harmony. And I want with all my heart, I have to believe that everything that we are feeling right now, um, that we're experiencing the intensity, isn't because we're almost at that point of extinction, but it's because we're coming back to that point of balance and unity and harmony and the people who are only comfortable in the eagle are fighting back and pushing back so hard and grasping onto anything they possibly can because the condor is, is powerful and unknown and scary and frightening. And balance, wow, I mean, think about um, stepping into a world of balance. And I have to believe that we're closer than we've, than we've been since 1490. Mm. I think um, RGB said it really well when she said, you know, when people, when journalists ask me how many female judges I want in the Supreme Court, I say eight, not one. I want eight. And then she says, they go, eight? You want eight? And she says, why are you saying that? We've had eight men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that to me was like, wow, there's stuff even I don't respond to and I'm not aware of that we just kind of like go, oh yeah, that's just the way it is. <laughs> and it's so painful as a woman in business, you know, um, I'm in higher education and I love my career. Um, and yet it's male dominated yeah. you know, in, in every area, every college. Um, we have one female Dean out of all of the rest. We have six campuses. And um, I can tell you that my whole life, you know, it's, I've actually been told by both my female counterparts and my male um, that because of the way that I look, um, because of my feminine characteristics, uh, that I should really consider pulling my hair back, you know, wearing it in a bun, uh, wearing different clothes. Could you wear a black suit? You know, all of those things. And when you think about the the balance between the eagle and the condor you know when young women hear those kind of uh statements from their female colleagues and their bosses who are fundamentally um trying to change how we show up in the workplace going back to what rebecca was saying earlier you know for me anyway it, it made me doubt my power and my my brilliance and wanted me to become more masculine just to kind of be able to compete with my male counterparts. And then many years later, 
um, you know, you're told don't wear all black because then the men will see you as you're competing with them. I'm like, okay, make up your mind, you know, <laughs> what do you want? But finding, striking the balance, you know, and I think it comes with age and transformation that you just begin to show up between the eagle and the condor as you stand in who God really created us to be individually and recognize that we're perfect. And it, it's a long journey, but I think we have a long way to go. Yeah. Rebecca, I'm so interested to hear what, what, you're, <laughs> what you're hearing. Cause I mean, working with women dealing with anorexia and everything, and like you said, trying to shrink away. What, how do you feel about Jane's question? I'm in a rage. <laughs> <laughs> British women get angry. We need it. But it's it's like so it's I guess it started when with Brexit here. So when when the UK voted to leave Europe, um, and and I woke up that morning with a message from my eldest son who was living in Singapore at the moment. He's in Chicago now. I don't know whether you know that, Jane. Oh, I see. He's not far from me. So um, he he just said this can't be happening. That's all he'd written. And, 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 and he was in despair, as were my other two children, because this is their future, right? To, 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 again, to be a small island again. And, and with Trump then being voted in, I can't remember, was it the other way around? I can't remember anyway, which came first. Um, the horror and the disbelief. And, and there was part of me that was very much of the belief that, no, this all needs to happen. This needs to happen. It needs to come to a head. Because if Hillary had been voted in, everybody would have gone back to sleep. Mm. Or the women would, would have gone back to sleep. But the women are rising. Mm. And, and I, I, I love that. I, I've not heard that before, the, the eagle and the condor. But it's, it's what I see it as, that this is the last hurrah, the dying... The, the 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 dying of the that type of male that we've had mm. and it's going to get messy and i am tired of being small yeah. of women being small of my clients um being so unhappy and and uh, well for, for 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 whatever coping strategy we've we create whether it's drugs and alcohol or eating or whatever um, whatever that might be because we're frightened of feeling we're frightened of feeling who we really are mm -hmm. beneath all of that story beneath all of that shrinking that we've been made to feel as women particularly mm -hmm. and of course I work with men as well with eating disorders so it's not purely women and you know, just just before this call, I went out for for a long walk. I live right by the sea, and I just needed to get out because I just could feel boiling. And just the pictures of Trump, for example, on the just his disregard for anything that comes from his fear, mm. his fear. And and again, quoting Marianne Williamson, there is fear and love. That's it. There are just those two. Mm -hmm. and anything that doesn't come from love is coming from a place of fear 
and I think that that's that's what I see is yeah. us not being frightened anymore mm. of us coming from love and we can be angry as hell but it comes from <laughs> love. That's right. yeah yes a hundred percent yeah oh my gosh so in the light of this and where we find ourselves now as women I mean what is our work to do from here well you know really speaking into and going back to the boldness um of our rbg i'm not used to calling her rbg um uh you know i started women a principle as a community because i too when you talk about what's next for women and and really empowering women to rise to their calling you know when we think about what's to do um we, I encourage women every day, you know, if you want to run a triathlon, run a triathlon. You know, if you want to start a business, start a business. Um, if you want to go back to school and become a teacher, do it. You know, now is the time and really recognizing that today is all we have, you know, that why wait, you know, going back to what Rebecca said, I think women are tired of being afraid and concerned and overburdened with the the labels and who you say that I am versus who I know that I am. And so I think every time a woman has the courage to take one step towards who she knows that she is that deep down inside and, and we watch women take those small steps towards living the life of their dreams. I think that's the uproar of what you're saying is people are tired of being quiet. They're tired of uh, being small. And so I think one of the, the things that we can do is to encourage women, no matter what your dream is, no matter what you wanna do, um, it, there, if there's a purpose in your heart, it's because it was put there because only you, uh, you were called to do that something special. And um, if we all took one small step every day uh, towards our dreams, the world would just be a much, much better, different place. Mm. I really believe that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And at the risk of being a Debbie Downer. <laughs> See, I've learned all these terms now. I live in America. I know them all. Right. I was so I, I did a round table a few weeks ago, well, it's probably a few months ago now, on Black Lives Matter. We were talking about racism, right? And I, as you were talking there, MK, I just had this link back to this conversation where I was talking to actually, um, I think it was, I think it was Terry, Professor Terry Maltbier from Columbia University was on the panel, and he said, it's. He said, he said he doesn't want to downplay the fact that this is a grassroots movement and Black Lives Matters and, you know, and he said throughout his life, he's had people that have championed him, right? And that's why he's now a professor at Columbia University. He said, but what we often don't realize is it's not always enough. Because he said, so he went back in his career and he told us this story of when he was um, 
pretty young consultant, newly graduated, but was doing, you know, was very enthusiastic and doing really well in his consultant in a, one of the big five consultancies. And, he, and his manager recognized this. And there was five of them at the level that Terry was at, uh, four white men and one black man, no women. <laughs> right. And uh, the manager decided to promote Terry. So even though he had a champion, he was promoted. Right. And but then he was over his four peers that used to be alongside him and they didn't want him to be their manager. And he said it was really interesting because even though I was invited in to the management table, the house wasn't built for me. Mm. So in other words, the systems still meant that his position was untenable. Just like I had a client who wanted to get to the CEO suite, she got there, she went onto the top floor with all the other partners of the law firm, she was now at the top table, and yet on the whole of the top floor, there were no female toilets. Now, I know these are stupid things, right? They're, they're little, they're, they're nothing, but they're just shining the light on the fact that some parts of the world were not created for women. And I remember as a, I don't know, five, six, seven-year-old, probably even a 10-year-old going to my dad's, so Rebecca, you'll laugh at this, Central Working Man's Club in Blackpool. I wasn't allowed in the bar because that was a men-only bar. Women were not allowed in there where the snooker tables were. Women were only allowed in the snug. We weren't allowed in there. And that continues today. <laughs> so... I mean, these are just little pockets of life, but like it's clear there's more of a complexity and more of a systemic change that we need to actually create true equality for women, isn't there? It, it, it's interesting what you're saying there, because I remember listening to um, Brene Brown's podcast that she had on Ibram Kendi, Kendi who wrote um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah. He was talking about that, imagine that it's been raining all your life and you don't actually know how wet you are. Mm -hmm. you, you're not even, a, it doesn't even come into your consciousness because you're so wet. Right. And it's only when somebody hands you an umbrella that you realize you're wet. Mm, right and and that mm. i think is something for us to learn as well that I mean that was profound when i heard that it's like yeah. because you know from a from a racism perspective and jane you know this you know growing up in the uk it was just there were there were tv programs there mm. was our the, the marmalade that we ate that had yep. just tropes on them that, that was just absolutely yep. utterly offensive now playground games we played but it was we didn't know we were in that and it's only now that we see that we were raised in that society that we can now make changes and it's the same for women yeah mm -hmm. I, think that, up. I think that what we it's interesting and i love that um thank you for sharing that about, you know, we don't know how, if, if we've always been in the room, we don't know how wet we are. Um, but I think that one of the beautiful things about RBG is that she's one of the last solo voices. Mm. 
I think that from this point moving forward, like I think often, um, like even when Jane, when I was working with you, right, as a client, I would, it was like, well, how do I get my voice out there? How do I make sure I'm heard? And I think the reality of where we stand today is that's not important anymore. Yeah. There are no more solo voices that have to rise above the noise. We're, we, the opportunity now is to hold hands and rise together. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I want to clap. <laughs> Like yes for a round of applause and a microphone, please. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting because we, as women of principle in this small but robust community that we are building, is you know, we we hearts wide open. You know, we're we're kind of stretching out and reaching out to the next woman, and as a stand for love for the whole. Yeah. And um, I love how you just put that, Lori, that, yeah. you know, there may be moments where one of us or a woman has the mic independently, yet she's speaking on behalf of the whole. And that's where I feel like as, you know, it's like breakdown, breakthrough, going back to what Rebecca was saying, like the anger. And I think that's why I was crying for four days. It was like, I was so bad. <laughs> You know, it's happening and um and really feeling the kind of compassion for humanity uh so it's like anger and compassion balanced but yes that we can rise as we make room for others and that's where that's where i think we're at right now and uh how how powerful could you know 2021 be like the year of the woman <laughs> <laughs> You know, and we do have the technology now. I think that's what makes it different as well. What you're saying, Laurie, is that, you know, when we look at RBG, she had, she had the position and the power that she needed to be heard in her time. And, and in history, it was a time where lone voices kind of stood out. But now we all have the power in our own hands. We carry it around in the palm of our hands every day. We've got, if we've got access to the internet, if we have a phone, right? And I know there's still a lot of the planet and women that don't, but if we are a woman and we do, then surely we should use that to get our voice out there, to be heard, to be bold. And I would say too, I would have just encouraged everybody listening to find, really find what inside of them um, wants to be heard and what, yeah. what is their purpose? What is their passion, right? Because hers was, hers was women's rights and equality. And she stood strong on that and never swayed. Yeah. And this last trip that I just took, I'll come back to it again for a moment, <laughs> um, was so pivotal for me because I've never felt so helpless. I looked at these mothers and children with their children and I wasn't allowed to stop. I wasn't allowed to talk to them. I gave them water and oranges anyway. It, wasn't, it was illegal. I could have been arrested. Um, one of the women, all I could do was roll down my window and smile. And she smiled back at me and then we both broke into tears. But that helplessness, mm. that feeling of um, there's absolutely nothing I can do, really set me pretty, pretty solid in my resolve of absolutely there's something I can do. Right. I'm not going to not do anything. Um, and it brought me to my center that 
and made me realize everything I've done in life, all of my ambitions, everything that I've wanted to accomplish, it all is centered around humanity. And the environment, all these things are really important to me, but but I now, it's like it it like implanted in me the wisdom and the knowledge and the knowing and the embodiment around the fact that my truth is human rights. Yes. And this is, as I move into my fifties, this is where I stand. And God, what a great gift that is from a really amazing, powerful woman who was the voice for championing, championing women's rights. And so find, find your purpose. Yes. And be that voice. And man, I'll be right beside you supporting you. Beautiful. Yeah. And when you talk about um, humanity, is there really anything else? You know, and I love what you say to find your voice in helping humanity. Um, because at the end of the day, I think that's what it's all about is um, helping every human being, every child of God, every sacred soul. Um, every divine spirit um, to shine and to feel loved and to feel heard. And um, I love how you shared that, that at the, at the core of it, at the center, it's about a commitment to humanity. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. That's beautiful. I I love that. I I love what you've shared, both of you there. Um, And it's about helping helping other women see see the light that's within them mm-hmm. um, absolutely and, and that's it and however we choose to do that however what's in our gift to do that and jane what comes to mind is the i know i know you will have us on the four women four decades <laughs> um yeah. during during our lockdown so i Four, four Women, Four Decades is something that was set up during during lockdown, started in March, April. There's myself in my 50s, my daughter in her 20s, and two colleagues and friends in their 30s and 40s. Four women's voices from across those decades. And we've been, we've been doing monthly events online, again, it, it, from the palm of your hand, you know, just sharing what we've seen about life and empowering and inspiring hopefully others. And interestingly, our next one is on purpose. <laughs> I can't wait, I'm gonna find it. I can't wait to watch. <laughs> direction, direction, passion and purpose, right? That's it. Yeah. And it's about, there's that image that's just come to mind that you often see on social media on International Women's Day is and I don't know who created it, but it's like a gif of women pulling somebody out of a out of a hole, and then you help it. They're helping each other up. So it's mm-hmm. it's literally helping each other. That's what we're doing as a, as a cycle. So whoever's been pulled up, then put, it pulls somebody else out. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and that's it, isn't it? Whatever we're called to do, whatever resonates deeply with our soul is to share that with others and to give it's 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 this idea of hope that comes across in the work that we do around eating disorders is i you know i don't know how many emails i've had from parents or from those that are struggling to say 
this is the first time I've felt hope. Mm. And when you have hope, anything is possible, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And as I hear you say that anything is possible, Rebecca, I, I just find myself leaping to this image in my mind of what would be possible if women now this is the language that came up for me so you're going to hear some of my own limiting beliefs here which is that um if women were allowed to fulfill their potential mm-hmm. what would the world be like then mm. so now, all of us right i i absolutely even though i've just met two of the four of us <laughs> <laughs> absolutely guarantee that we all are on the same page with this one that that allowance starts with us yes only yes. one that has to open absolutely. that to allow us to do that is our yeah. ourselves yeah. yeah thank you and because you- i don't our rbg took no for an answer <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah and it's true we get what we tolerate yeah so- exactly that's it we get what we tolerate yeah and Rebecca, we are not what we think. <laughs> yeah, way more. Yes. Way more. That's just the story, the unreliable narrator. Yes. And we can yes. choose to listen to it. Um, oh, am I allowed to swear? It's not rude, rude swear. <laughs> Whisper it because if 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 iTunes pick up on it, we'll get deleted. It came up in our conversation with the four women for decades, and one of my friends' colleagues said, "We don't have to listen to shit FM." <laughs> you know? and, th- and that's that story telling us, right? I'm not enough, I'm yeah. not worthy. Yeah. Or, or, or believing when other people are saying that to us, whether it's the marketing, you need this face cream, you need to look 20 years younger than you are, you need to tie your hair back. I mean, what the hell is that about? <laughs> <laughs> Tell you, I actually did that for, for one year. And then I went to my hairdresser and she said, you're not allowed to wear your hair back for anymore because it's falling out. So the fact that I wanted to adhere to society norms was costing me my hair. It, it, and I have to say, going back to Jane's question about like the systemic part of, I think, you know, whether it's race, uh, women's rights, equality, diversity, I mean, there's because in the university right now, um, in light of um, social mobility and, and race, racial justice, we are doing a lot of work on creating a culture and a mindset that it's like retraining the brain, right? Mm. Retraining the university, because going back to what we were talking about earlier, our very dear friend, Simon T. Bailey, asked me on a call very similar to this, you know, what is it like to live in a, a, a white world? You know, what is that kind of privilege like? And it really caught me off guard because when it's like you're a fish in water and you don't know you're a fish until someone takes you out of the, mm-hmm. the pail or the pot. And so, you know, it gives us an opportunity, I think, being uncomfortable in creating the system change 
allows me to realize if I'm a fish, you know, what can I do to step out of my comfort zone uh, to learn something about others that I may not have ever known before. When I hear Lori talking about the, the families on the border, you know, my husband's Cuban and came over many years ago um, and they flew him over on a cargo plane, like with the food, you know, and came into this country not knowing any English. And so this is something we talk about a lot. So I think as we face, what could we do as women to begin to open the doors to create change systemically? That women rise, there's equality uh, among the races. We have a lot of work to do, um, but I think little by little, we'll just keep chipping away at it. And because we're so strong and powerful and don't take no for an answer, uh, maybe we'll find a way. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And what if we're tired of the chip, chip, chipping away and we just want a landslide? <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, we're ready. We're with you, Rebecca. Uh, <laughs> job, make those rocks all fall at once. Yep. <laughs> I'll get my sledgehammer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is such a great conversation, ladies. Thank you so much. But, you know, I'm watching the time and I want to ask us a final question. Like, if there's something you would have wanted to get to today, something you'd like our listeners to know, something to leave them with maybe, what might it be? I think what I would um, encourage women to remember is that they are loved like there is nothing else you were saying there's love and fear and so if you're a woman listening today <clears throat> there is a call and a purpose and uh to find a way to just go for it one minute at a time one conversation at a time and we're with you we're with you in spirit we're with you in community. We're with you in prayer and meditation. And um, together we can create a world that actually does work for more people. And that's what I would say. Thank you. You're welcome. I feel you as you say that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm not sure there's anything to add to that, frankly. That's just... I. I feel that mm. and maybe it's it's the the tuning into that I call it home you know that, that <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. and to tune into that and to listen to what the calling is from that space yes yeah and I would add to that Rebecca that um, for me actually physically placing my hand over my heart and letting my awareness fall into that place of home for me um, that is where I find the answers that I'm looking for and that's where I find the resolve to step forward and say yes and to believe that what I want to do in that moment is what I'm being called to do that for a reason. But it's when I center on that heart space that I know I'm moving forward in the right way. Amen. Thank you, Laurie. And I just wanna share um, 
something that made a huge difference to me that was given to me by my, a really good friend in California called Katriona Reed. Um, and Katriona once said to me, I was going to do a talk and I was uh, a little worried about doing this talk because it was going to be a mainly male audience um, in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Um, there are a lot of government male men in the audience. And I was like, how am I going to connect with these people? <laughs> right? Talking stereotypically. And Katriona turned to me and she said, Jane, I want you to imagine for a moment all your ancestors, all the women standing behind you, looking towards you, that their lives made your life possible. And I want you to imagine them standing behind you and cheering and clapping and smiling. And then I want you to think out in your life to all the women that you have as friends and colleagues. And I want you to see them standing beside you on the stage. And then I want you to look ahead to all the like grandchildren, the women that are going to be born after you. That's mm. why you're standing on the stage. So go stand on the stage and effing own it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, yes, give me that stage now. I'll go. So <laughs> it's like, I can do this. But for me, whenever I find this is not just for stages because life is a stage. This is for when I get up in the morning and I think about who I'm going to be and who I'm going to become. I now imagine all of these women that I just love. Some of them I know, of course, some of them I don't, but I just love this energy that it gives me. That's my permission, <laughs> if you like. So if you need permission, if you find yourself feeling constricted, you know, moving away from getting making yourself smaller as we've all talked about just think about you are loved there are women that love you there are also probably men that love you as well humanity loves you and just know that and take that into your day okay guys I just want to give you a big thank you. I have loved every freaking minute of this conversation. We could carry on all day, but I just know that our listeners will have loved it just as much as I have because I feel inspired and empowered <laughs> right now. I'm going to go out into the world and I'm not going to crush it because that's a male thing, <laughs> but I'm going to go do my work, the work that's mine to do. So thank you. Really, I mean that. Thank, thank you to each of you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Lori, Rebecca. Thank you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. What did you think? Remember that the purpose of a podcast like this is not just to make you think, it's actually to get you to take some action. Yes, this means you need to do something differently to get a result. So before you turn this off and get back to your day, Take a moment and just write down two or three key things, insights, action items, things that you can implement today that will make a meaningful difference in your world. Knowledge is not power, it's only potential power. What truly makes an impact is action. So ask yourself, what do you feel inspired to do after today's conversation? And let me remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing community of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us keep doing our work in the world. 
We're a network of people committed to making the world a better place. We support each other to grow personally and professionally, and together we're making a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the work you do to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.